welcome to Standpoints, the podcast where we explore the Black experience. This is our space for living and loving Blackness. My name is Trisha Cadet. And my name is Andrea Baldwin. And today we're discussing Black, Black women loving through the pandemic and also through the current racial global uprisings. Today we have with us Nana Brontool, who's an educator, researcher, and writer based in Washington, D.C., and Jamie Swift, who is the executive director, founder, and creator of Black Women Radicals. So welcome to you both, Nana and Jamie. Um, today, like I said earlier, we'll be talking about loving through the pandemic and the, the current racial global uprisings. We'll be in dialogue um, with you about what, what does it mean to love ourselves as Black women at a time where um, the hate for Black women, particularly darker skinned Black women, is so palpable. Uh, we want to focus our conversation on centering, honoring, and amplifying love for and among Black women and how this love is also a form of healing. So before we get right into the questions, um, I want to check in with y'all in the spirit of the podcast, uh, in the spirit of love, and I want to make sure to ask you how you're doing. How are y'all doing and how are y'all coping in this time? And uh, Nana, you can go first. Man, um, thank you for checking in. And in particular, I know it's coming from a good place. I think during this time, that's one of the things that's been difficult in navigating. Um, we've had so many different events that have basically made people have to look at their internalized anti-Blackness and their misogynoir and they think like sending an email or two about checking in is genuine and that sort of changes the issue, you know? Mm -hmm. Even those kind of things don't come from a genuine place right now, even for Black women. So I'm grateful to just be in this space. But I have been in a lot of ways checked out. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually thinking about that this morning because there's so much going on. Um, personally, professionally, just, I don't know, in a lot of ways, it's hard for me even to plug in. Yeah. So I'm grateful at least to have processing spaces and people to process with, but it's just been hard, man. Like it's been a, it's a, it's been a hell of a pandemic and the past month have been so much. And in particular, the past two weeks have been a lot because I feel like gaslighting has been off the chain in terms of what we've been seeing happening with these different i don't know what we call them are they blackfish <laughs> what are these women that have been in the academy <laughs> these white women posing as black it has been a lot y'all i'm tired but grateful to be here yeah and i appreciate you being here uh knowing that you know it's it's, it's hard to be in spaces where um you're expected to talk and, and engage in any type of coherent way. Um, and so I appreciate both you and Jamie joining us. Jamie? Yes, so Nana, you and I text um, back and forth. So uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm just grateful to be here, to be alive. Um, just knowing that this year has been so lethal for so many, not just in the U.S., but in, in Africa and the African diaspora. Um, I've just been feeling pretty overwhelmed. Um, I'm already overthinker by nature, but I've been overthinking to the point of paralysis. Like, I just, like, I'm so overwhelmed sometimes that, like, I just, like, you know, stare off and just let my mind wander because there's so many responsibilities I have of being like the eldest, uh, not only, you know, finishing a degree, but also with family concerns. And I think people don't take that into consideration or they just see you as a prop or they want you for your productions or they like you because you can do something for them, but they don't want to see your humanity, particularly during this time. Um, and I think the performative activism that Nana was talking about also further exacerbates that because now you have people wanting to work with you or partner with you, but they only want to work with you to seem less racist, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, or for like their capitalist gain or whatnot. So I've been reckoning with that and also just loss. I've been, I've experienced loss and from people I've known all my life. So it's, it's been, very difficult, but I'm grateful to be here with you all. Y'all are amazing, so thank you. So thank you so much for sharing with us, Nana and Jamie. And I wanted to, um, you know, go back to something both of you 
touched on, you know, the aspect of performative activism that we're seeing right now, and also the um, the the not so genuine or the fake check-ins. Because I've experienced that too. I've experienced a few check-ins from people who never really cared before, and I feel like now in this climate and this time of heightened social awareness, everybody non-Black wants to show that they're part of the change and they're making a difference. And I've experienced that too, where I have completely checked out of certain conversations that I was asked to be a part of because they were being conducted by people who I never felt welcome by, I always felt othered by, who now want to be champions of the cause. And I just wanted to know if you all have experienced that and how has that affected you? I've definitely experienced that um, in academic spaces, but also in the advocacy spaces that I work in um, and lobbying for policy that suits the needs and really centers the needs of marginalized people. Everybody is on it. All the white and non-Black folk are on top of this very disingenuous, I'm here, I'm checking in, I care. Uh, and I'd much rather it just come from a place of, you know, I messed up. I'm, I'm very embedded in this. I'm unlearning things. I did not see you before in the ways that I see you now. You know, it's not, but, and the, and the thing that is, once again, the, the gaslighting is, it's fascinating. It's like, you have been surrounded by people who have been very much telling you about these things for quite some time. Just even having the presence of Black feminists and nonprofit organizations in the academy, we've been talking about anti-Black racism, we've been talking about Miswaja Noir, we've been talking about capitalism, we've been talking about patriarchy, we've been talking about these things for a long time. Because when all of these things intersect, they impact us more than any group of people. <laughs> and, and now you want to, are you, I just want to, I just want to say that I see you. I, what? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and you see me now because you're forced to see me because we are in an emergency. Mm -hmm. And you have realized, and I'm, I'm everybody, whomever you are, what little capital you thought you had, this pandemic does not care. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's just been fascinating. It's, and it's been too much. I feel like sometimes it's a struggle to show to come out on the right side at the end. So it's not, ge it's not genuine to the point where we actually can, we see the, the problems. We just want to be on the right side of the, the story at the end, because I just don't understand people I have been in academic spaces, professional spaces with, who have seen, um, you know, um, microaggressions being passed, they have seen, they have heard discriminatory, discriminatory statements being, being made just very freely and openly by their peers, their Caucasian peers, and have never said anything. I have always sat in those spaces and been the only one offended and the only one who had to say something and the only one othered and um, ostracized because I have the problem. And now these are the people who are the champions of this cause for change right now. And I just, I can't have any of it. Oh, I agree. I am censoring Black women more than I ever have before. And that means a lot because I've always done it. And quite honestly, if the check-in is not coming with something material that will impact the lived experiences, the economic security of Black women in the midst of this here pandemic and beyond, keep your check-in. I don't care. I'm done. Yes. Two snaps and a twirl. I'm telling you right now because, um, and you know, we talk about the performative activism, but I've always called it like a psychological warfare because it's something like, it reminds me of Citizen and American Lyric uh, when Claudia Rankine was like, did they, did she just really say that to me? Did they, did they really do that to me? And I've had so many instances with white women, particularly the racism, um, and I'm like, I know y'all just didn't talk to me like that. Or I know y'all didn't try to post a photo of Ugandan women and, uh, and they were really Nigerian women. Like, like this is a type of, and, and I had an incident where I was a part of this global health fellowship 
for a year. It was very racist um, to the point where someone asked me, what does racism, what does race have to do with gender when talking about HIV? Like this is how racist this was. And this is a, you out of the UN, the UN AIDS office. And when the uprisings happened, I hadn't been in this fellowship for years and I made it very clear, I'm not your mule, I'm not here. So when, when the uprisings happened with Mike Brown and all these other um, up, uh, you know, instances of anti-Black state violence, y'all wanted me to speak up, but y'all didn't want to speak up about the racist white feminism that was happening to myself and to other colleagues and other, my, uh, my African colleagues, right? And so they messaged me and said to me, oh, would you like to uh, shape our racial justice event after being called out for not speaking up? How dare you? Mm-hmm. Black people are going through collective trauma around the world and you want to sh- me to shape your event and you haven't spoken to me in years. Y'all, you have really like, I told them in the most clear way, don't you ever contact me ever again for anything. And that is just further compounds what I'm already feeling because I'm already upset. I'm already crying because I have to see George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade and Nina Pop. And you weren't considerate about my black life or other black lives before, but when you get called out or it's when I'm not going to curse, but when stuff hits the fan, now you want me to shape your event, mm-hmm. but you don't even care about my black life or the black life of my family or the black, like it just doesn't make any sense. And I'm really sick and tired of it. And also too, I'm also sick and tired of other black people doing this to other black people and the anti, like you, like Nana, the internalized anti-blackness, internalized homophobia, queerphobia, transphobia, um, um, and also the colorism, because mm-hmm. we haven't even gotten on that yet. And oh, so girl. that's it, two episodes. It's too much. It's just too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with y'all. I'm I'm of the mindset that if you weren't checking on me before, don't check on me now. I'm good. We yeah. <laughs> good over here. Yeah. And, and from as the stories that y'all are sharing, your experiences resonate a lot um, in my own spaces in academia. I'm in I'm in a very white feminist space. I teach in a women's and gender studies. I'm the only black woman in that space. And when the pandemic hit, um, you know, people are asking me if they can run to the grocery store and get my groceries. And I'm like, what? Why the hell would I need you to go get my grocery? Like, I got a car. And if I don't feel like going to the grocery store, I got a partner who can run to the grocery store and get the groceries. I don't understand. Like, I don't. Un- and, it, and, it, and, it, and it is the worst thing to do to somebody in this space because you want to, like, like Trisha said, you want to come out looking good on the other side. But you're causing me extra work because then I have to respond to this bullshit when I could be doing something mm-hmm. else. One, one woman sent me an email asking me, if my son would want to go with a, on a walk with her. And I was like, my son is it. You like a hundred. Why would he want to come walk with you? <laughs> you know, like that, that, that don't make no, like the performance. At, and so, but I have to respond to this in a way that I can't say my son is it. What the hell he would want to ro- walk with you. I have to like, they're so-and-so and so. Um, thank you for your, however, blah, blah. That is work. <laughs> you, listen, listen. I had stopped responding to stuff that just was off the wall and just too ridiculous. I just wasn't even responding. And if there was a time I had to send a message like, oh, sorry, I missed your other message. You know, I've just been, you know, on the low, taking my time. I, I just, I don't have that kind of energy. I can't, I can't do it. I agree. I think it also speaks levels to just like, the lack of investment and commitment to actually solving the issue. Um, the reality is <laughs> in the long run, in the long game of things like ask like groceries or taking children on walk, which actually just doesn't even seem appropriate. Right? <laughs> it's just think this a bit through, but I think that there has been a way that people have been socialized to not see black women at all. It's just like, you all can't even think and empathize like, what are the things that people would need practically <laughs> that would make a difference? I, I don't know. It's not, we're going to give you a day off on Juneteenth. You just found out what Juneteenth was this year. Nana, <laughs> we can't even go on this Juneteenth thing because it, it has been an itch in the middle of my back. You know, that spot in the middle of the back where you can't reach. 
you get close, but you can't get there. Ooh. Mm. It is stunning, y'all. I cannot. Nana. We are being gaslit. We are being gaslit. Nana, <laughs> I, I will have you know that I am the inaugural, one of the inaugural Juneteenth scholars at my institution. And I took their money. I took their money. Well, I ain't mad at that now. Take that money. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, 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 you said so much truth there, and I'm still on this walk thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand what the outcome of this walk was like. What was the intention? What was the the? Because the I'm going to show you that all white people are not the same. You're going to have walk and have a conversation with my son about what? Yeah, why would I trust you with my son? I don't know you. I don't know where your hands have been. Do you wash your hands? Did you bathe? What I'm trying to tell y'all, that was for her. That wasn't <laughs> like, for Liam. That wasn't for the child. That was for her. Like, why would I, you know? And also, I, it just is like, you said it so perfectly when you were like, it takes work for me to respond to this in a very respect, like, mannerable way. But like, what about us? We're, we don't receive grace. Black women are rarely extended grace. Like I was telling mm -hmm. Nana about this, we don't we don't have the benefit of the we don't get the benefit of the doubt. Even when we have a bad day, we have to make it seem like okay. I, I have gotten such nasty emails from people, and I know if I responded to these emails a certain way, I would be looked at a certain way, and I want to make sure like the organization or whatever that is out of love. But I always I don't always receive love back from people, even with non-black people who want to work with me. I notice I. Black women always do the work, go above and beyond the standard, excel, like put so much time in. And I'm like, you want to work with me on some solidarity tip, but you don't want to put in the work. You just want the name. But where's my grace? Where's my consideration that I'm tired? Where's the consideration that I have a family member who, who's not well? What, it, like, what, what about me? But I'm extending you grace and, and support and solidarity. And I think that has bothered me so much through this pandemic like i'm over here thinking to the point of like i can't think anymore and you out here want to use me but don't want to give me any respect or benefit of the doubt it's just very interesting it's because at the end of the day everything is always about self-interest like these folks still do not see us as fully human beings they still see us as mules as nursemaids as whores whatever the fuck they see when they see black women's bodies right that is what they see that's why you offering to take someone's child on a walk, what was that going to do for you? <laughs> to show some little child that all white people aren't the same and that you will go to bed feeling well about yourself, that you made a difference. That's the impact that you want to make. It's sick. Actually, it's sadistic. There's so much that's going on that is just, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It, it's, I don't even know where we begin and I also don't know how Black women have been able to learn how to love each other and other people so much because the world does not model love for us at all. Right, right. Mm -mm. Yeah, and I, and I think that comment, Nana, uh, leads really well into another question that I had. Um, and that question is, how have you two been engaging in loving practices during this pandemic? Are you able to, uh, what has been getting you through this pandemic? Who have you been relying on to get through what have you been talking about? Uh, for instance, what are, I know for me, WhatsApp groups have been, because my family are, are not close by, WhatsApp groups have been getting me through. So what's in the WhatsApp group or the group chat for you two? Yeah, well, I'm already like an insular person anyway in terms of my family. Like I'm always family-oriented, community-oriented. And for me not to have been able to see my mother because she had a kidney transplant last year and the first transplant she had failed three years ago and worrying about, well, what if I go see her and I have this has been very difficult. Um, and just not knowing, like, it's just been very difficult. So, and worrying about that in the back of my mind, even when I went home to see them, my family officially, I was like, oh, wow, like, should I even be here? Should I even... Like, 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 it was just very, so like me talking to my family has always been um, helpful to me because I talk to my family like five, three, four, five times a day. Um, also prayer has helped too, because like I said, I'm always thinking, but, and so I'm grateful for my prayer life and, and I can do it more, but praying, but it's really also been talking to like other black women. Nana and I, like Nana has me like, listen, I'll be rolling with Nana. Like Nana has me like laughing so hard or 
talking to my friend Z, talking to my partner, but really have like these um, um, conversations where I can be vulnerable because sometimes I don't like to be vulnerable because people take that and they use it to their benefit or they um, bring up something that you told them to harm you. And I've mm -hmm. always been kind of like, okay, like, let me be there for other people. Let me just be silent and keep everything to myself. But it's allowing like, you know, I, I cried with my one friend uh, last week and we were just both crying on the phone. And I'm like, how healing is that? How healing is that I can be like, I can't hug you and I can't physically touch you, but I can cry with you over the phone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's been like really healing and really loving, loving for me, a loving practice for me. Yeah, I think um, similarly to Jamie, there have been a lot of things going on in my family around health um, that has also been very scary. I think this is one of the times where it's been so important for me to be intentionally in like community with Black women because like that's the majority of my family members and many of us are really learning how to survive together in ways that we haven't before. We've usually been able to figure out things and we'll suffer in silence. Um, but this pandemic has like between from health to unemployment and overall economic security has like brought us together in ways to have some like hard but healing conversations, intentional, thoughtful, needed conversations. And that has been really helpful for me. Um, on the lighter side of things, I've definitely, I love to make playlists. I've been making a lot of different playlists lately that feature just black women, um, because even in music, I'm tired. I just want to hear Black women. I'm tired. I just want to hear Black women. And in particular, when it comes to music, like I love hearing the genius of Black women lyricists across the globe. I think they do some great things. Like I was just listening to a track out of Brazil featuring some Black women. That was dope. I couldn't believe it. Like I said, who, who could lay it? Who could lay so smooth over a damn accordion funk? Brazilian, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's lit, it's magical, it makes me happy. And that has definitely been getting me through. Um, and group chats for sure. Like I have so many, um, some exclusively feminist, some like my homegirls from back in the day, like all of us, and we've been talking about everything. Um, the past two weeks have been popping with a lot of content because the past two weeks have been something for black women. We done had several white women come out. <laughs> I don't even know how they were able to benefit. I've not benefited from my black womanhood the way they have. <laughs> Ain't that... <laughs> you know what? I think it's a situation where it's too hard to be black right now. So I might as well just come out and tell you, that's how I feel. I feel like right now it's just too hard to be black. So all the black fishes... Needed to jump out of the lake and show themselves. They said, I'm out. I, I want my white privilege back. I yeah. want it back now. That, that's exactly how I feel. No, it's so sad. I was just telling someone I didn't have a, like a black professor officially until like graduate school. Like, I, I mean, I, I never even had a black medical doctor or nurse practitioner until I went to Howard. And so for like, and as a light-skinned Black woman, already seeing the colorism that is so, I mean, to the point where I talked about it in a course, and, my, and I showed old archives and I, of Howard, and I'm like, who was here? Who, who do these people, like, look, like, these archives of the, the students at Howard, and it was, like, lighter-skinned women, like, lighter than me. And I'm like, so we already have these issues already, but for you to pretend to be Black, then be mean to other black and women of color scholars and, and get off, like you went a Schomburg fellow, a tenure, prof I mean like buku amounts of money. And we have to struggle on a like, and I can't even speak as a light skinned black woman, it's a different kind of experience from a darker skinned black woman. So I can't even speak on that. But just knowing collectively as black people and black women, we weren't, we're not even supposed to be in academia in the first place. We're not human enough to be in academia. We're not smart enough. We can be tested on, but we can't catalyze intellectual thought and behavior. So for you to do this, then there's more of y'all pretending to be Eritrean or Ethiopian. And then, uh, uh, I mean, like, what is it? What, really, what is it? 
And it's like, I laughed hard at it for a little bit because I was thinking about Tobias from Atlanta and all this stuff, but it really isn't that funny. Um, and there's so many more of them. It, it, it's so much, it, it's, so, it's just too much. It's mm-hmm. overwhelming. And I think for me, it highlighted several things. <laughs> First of all, it made me angry because as someone who, as a woman, a dark-skinned, tall, big black woman, to see, I, I don't know, to see that folks have not been willing to interrogate their colorism truly, because honestly, the way that people were starstruck is the way that these women were allowed to, to be in black space with black youth. Like this is this is the levels of harm and violence are so dangerous. It shows like there's so much more work and intentionality in terms of conversations. Because the reality is, too, the things that she has been allotted, the things that she has been offered when it comes to Black women in the academy, it's not going to go to someone that looks like me. It will go to someone like this woman every time. And it's infuriating. <laughs> and it's, I don't know, it's just bewildering. It's, it's bewildering. I've been in this Black woman body holding these different identities that even within our community, sometimes it feels like they are fucking vilified. Like to be dark skin is like, whoa. And then you're not like, you're not what people would consider to be beautiful. Like there's so much shit that's happening simultaneously as we're holding and going through all of this. I just don't know. It's, it's so jarring to me. And it's so pervasive throughout so many parts of our lives. Like I think about all the things that, have been allowed to happen, like even like even in the music industry. Look at the music industry. We all were watching Versus the other day with Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight and Dionne Warwick. Where are the women and women in the music industry that look like that anymore? They don't. They don't. They don't. Like, they don't get the same attention. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, sometimes it is just so scary. It's like that, that Kelly Rowland versus Beyonce thing. Everything comes down to, because Black people, we, we got to talk about it. Color is capital within our community. It's color, capital within the world, but in particular, internally within the community. I can't believe that people would have really questioned the Black women that said, these women are not Black. Thank you. Are, are we not the, we don't know. We don't know. And then another thing too, Black men. Mm. Prop prop this this Jessica Krug up. Like, I mean, it, it's it, like, I mean, let's just talk black and white, like, and, and black people in general, but I saw on Twitter how like, oh, they were my, she was my friend and I knew something was off and all my friends said she was off. And I was like, and it took like, what a black Latina junior scholar to go to senior black Latina scholars. And they did an internal invest, like a quick investigation. And I'm like, Wait, y'all like y'all really believed, you know, y'all felt something was wrong. Why didn't you go into that like inclination or that intuition? Or why do you not want to believe what black women have to say? Like it it just is very I don't Yeah, and and Jamie, you said something and maybe it may not have been on our agenda, but we need to talk about this because we're speaking of the colorism. We're speaking of this um, newly outstanding Blackfish on the market and the fact that she was able, you know, to wear that mask for so long. And you mentioned, you know, Black men and possibly how color is seen in the Black community and how women, high yellow, lighter skinned women are um, somewhat put on a pedestal above darker skinned women. And I think it's an important thing to tackle, especially since we're talking about black love. And you know, we want to we want to talk about how we honor black women and what does it mean to honor black women. But we also have to talk about the, you know, the multiple dimensions of blackness and what black women come with. Because Nana, you also spoke about all the multiple identities you carry. And I think that's something people don't even understand too. It's not just black woman, it's woman, it's black, it's dark skin, it's first generation American or not American at all, an immigrant in this land. So there's so much that goes into it. And I feel like sometimes we get excused, some people get excused and passed through based on the color of their skin. 
And now we're seeing black love put on a pedestal, which is good. I love, um, I love the uplifting of black love. I love the narrative that they're trying to create that positive imagery of black love and what it is. But even in the definition of black love, there's a pro that's problematic as well. And if we want to talk about our black identities and how we honor black women, how do we do that with this new black love narrative that's being created? And I don't know if any you have any thoughts on that. I definitely have some thoughts around that. I think one of the things that we as black people need to do, we need to get real. We need to get real about how we are in, how the ways in which we're in community are so conditional. There's so much conditionality and, and, and truth too in how we represent the community, how we amplify people within the community, how we love on people, protect people within the community. It is what it is. You know, when we think of the 70s and people think of the Black Power movement and they think, oh, there was this rallying behind this, this Black is beautiful or I'm Black and I'm proud. There's all, these have always been qualified statements. Like Black beauty has not been extended to people who are differently abled or disabled. They've not been extended to dark-skinned women in particular, right? It's, it, there's so much, and it, when we're not able to say that and speak to that and also recognize how white supremacy is underbedded with that, we're never going to get better. We're going to keep talking at the same thing. Or we're going to keep saying, oh, no, we don't know. We have Kelly Rollins. Oh, we have a Gladys Knight. Oh, we, no. You still continue to put these people as exceptions to a general rule that you have. That black beauty is exclusively light-skinned. It's able-bodied. It's thin. Or it's slim-thick. It's a very particular proportion body, in particular, when it has to do with a black woman. When we're mm -hmm. ready to have that conversation, then we're able to talk more actively about what black love truly means because black love as it stands right now as many people understand it it's just between straight folk as well and that's also something you know like even when we talk about like that's why there's been this push amongst activists saying all black lives matter because people mm -hmm. will leave you out they will invisibilize you because you are not the type of black that they think stands against and can will honestly be in competition with white supremacy. And some black people need to sit in that too. There's, some, there's something happening with this idea of liberation that some people are carrying that's not liberation. If it ain't mm. all of us getting free, it ain't liberation. It ain't none of us. And that mm. is a problem. Like unless like we're able to sit down and interrogate like why we say as a community, oh yeah, we love this person even though they're queer. Or you're beautiful for a dark-skinned girl. Or you would be so beautiful if you weren't so overweight. Maybe if you lost some weight, you'd be great, you know? Or, oh, one day you're going to be great once you're fully healed. You'll be able to walk. You'll speak a particular... All these different things, this messaging. We don't ever want to sit in the complexity of it. I just... How can we ever talk about Black love? What is Black love? What is it truly? Sometimes I don't know what it is, like, especially community love. And in particular, as a dark-skinned woman, big dark-skinned woman in this body, navigating these different academic spaces, I can say, especially from my Black male colleagues, I have not felt a lot of love. And I know that why that is. I just don't know if they're always conscious of why that is or if they even care. Yeah, um, everything you said is on point. Um, and I also want to call out other black women, particularly cis black women, um, and the internalized transphobia, the homophobia, queerphobia, and also colorism that many of us hold um, because we're a part of the problem too. Um, I was telling Nana how I get disgusted when I make posts about, made a post about um, Dominique Remy Fells, a black trans woman who was murdered in Philadelphia, and Nina Pop and the disgusting comments that I receive from other Black women about these Black trans women is sickening to the point where I had to take a day or so off of social media. Um, and we're not being honest with ourselves, nor are we interrogating it because it's like always this race first thing. Many of us still hold on to that very masculinist understanding of like race first or put aside all the our other identities and differences and not willing to work across difference because we want to be like, oh, this is, uh, you know, black power, like black love and all those things have certain requirements, like Nana said. 
but I just remember I like to do a lot of interviews with elders because I think time there's an urgency. So I interviewed my grandmother who was a dark skinned 70 some odd old woman from Arkansas who raised five children by herself and her five brothers by herself and her mom died from a heart attack, um, sharecropping. And I asked her, did you always ever feel beautiful grandma? And she started bursting out crying because I look at her like she's beautiful, but she's been called horrendous names to the point where she just, you know, try to block that out of, of her psyche to and push forward. And I'm like, how many of our sisters and siblings have to deal with that? And have we ever asked them how they felt? And so if we're not even willing to get past a surface level about loving each other, whether it's romantically or in a friendship, sibling, sister type of way, how can we truly say we love somebody if, if, if these conversations are not being had? Like, I mean, I'm, and, and, and literally this is, this is, like I said, it's a different experience. I'm a light-skinned Black woman. I always say this all the time. I've seen how I've been in class and my professors will literally blatantly start talking to me and flirting with me in class while my darker skin uh, women colleagues are speaking. And I'm trying to have this person not talk to me and like, you know, well, I'm like, oh yeah, they're, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a different experience that I can never speak to, but I will say we have to stand in the gap. Like if we're not willing to stand up and say, this is wrong, this is colorist, this is not showing black love, we are not being in solidarity with our sisters or siblings, period. And also having, representation too like we don't always need to be in the forefront <laughs> like you like we can like you know and you know what i mean and I, and I really i really think this is a problem um mm -hmm. that we haven't really interrogated we, we haven't fully interrogated we just haven't mm -hmm. um, and i'll be honest i had never experienced feeling unattractive or unpretty until um, I started living in the U.S. I can be completely honest with that. I never once felt that I was unpretty until living in the U.S. and being told stuff because I started off. I started off in the South, in Louisiana, and you hear stuff like, "Oh, you're you're pretty for a dark girl," or "You mixed with something. What you mixed with?" Or um, you cute, but I could never marry a, a dark skinned girl. I want my babies to be light skinned stuff. Like I never experienced any of that until coming here. It's real, um, and it's 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 real painful. As my family is West African, I was born and raised here, and so all my life, that's all I knew was being undesirable, unattractive, unwanted, especially amongst Americans. And it wasn't until as an adult when I started traveling outside of the U.S. Like I remember the first time I went to Trinidad was the strangest experience for me ever. I'd never been in a country that had made space for dark-skinned women to be pretty. It's not a perfect society. None of us can be, right? Because that's white supremacy. But I was like, oh my God, like, this is so new and this is so foreign and it just was a stark contrast in ways like <laughs> that was just so jarring. I have an experience that I tell people about when it comes to colorism, because people really think <laughs> it's a game or it's not something that impacts your life or it's not something that's supposed to hurt you, but it does. I went to a restaurant in Hyattsville with some friends um, some years ago <laughs> and the waiter was a black man and it's a group of three of us. One light-skinned woman who some people might consider to be racially ambiguous, maybe. Um, she, and the two other of us who are dark-skinned. I tell you, this waiter did not even look at us. The two dark-skinned women, he didn't serve us. He literally did not serve us in this restaurant in America. <laughs> and you know what was, like, when I knew it was color and it was beauty for him, was when he was so deliberate about making sure to meet the needs of this lighter skinned woman that he thought to be desirable. He literally got on a knee to hear what she was saying so she wouldn't have to speak loudly or raise her voice. I sat in a restaurant 
in 2015 or 2016 in the United States had a black man as a server who literally did not serve me and had to go speak to white people who run this space to rectify the situation. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And then also, and I don't talk about this a lot, but I just feel compelled to talk about this too. When you're not a pretty black woman by pretty definitions in this country, it is difficult. <laughs> people are not kind to you at all. I have been on the receiving end of some intense misogynoir. Um, there have been spaces, and this is also amongst Black people as well, and it's not something we talk about, expect, except digital space. Thank goodness for digital space, cyber feminists who are doing the work to like raise these conversations, because I also feel seen in it. When you are a Black woman, that live in a, you live in a body that's already gendered male because it's big and tall and dark, and you don't have the feminine or soft facial features that people think we should have, my God. Like, I have seen... For those men who have misgendered or questioned my gender, I have seen the rage they have for trans women. And that shit has scared me as well. I'm like, I don't know what the Black love narrative is that we're having. I think in some ways we want to hold to it because it's what we have. It's something that keeps us going or it's this image of what we want in the future, but it's so exclusionary and, it, and that's dangerous. It's exclusionary to the point that there are people within our community, and I'm speaking explicitly to Black trans women who lose their lives because once again, the love is conditional. Yeah, Nana, thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, and Nana and I have been in spaces together too. I remember when we were in Cuba and um, how we had to literally um, threaten the man who did not want to serve us um, because and, 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 the, and the feedback we got was, um, but my, my grandmother is Black. I'm not racist. Um. <laughs> like this man pulled out a picture. And people have done, like they do these things. It's like, I'm not racist here. You know, I'm not racist. I have a dark, I have a dark skinned Black mom or grandma. My or I'm not racist. I want to take a little Black boy out for a walk. Like people are not thinking. <laughs> It's horrible. That's all. Like it, it's just disgusting at this point. And just thinking about like a lot of the lyrics that we hear about it. Everything is like yellow bone. I want a high yellow. I want a uh, like you know. And I'm like, what? I mean, a long it, head, slick red bone. Yes, that's it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And it's just like, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like it's just, it's just, yeah. It's <laughs> Um, Nan, I wanted to pick up on something that you said when you mentioned that you are thankful for digital spaces, and I wanted to interrogate that a little bit more. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear from you um, how digital spaces have been helpful to you. Also, Jamie, uh, what are some trends that you've noticed uh, uh, among Black women regarding loving and affirming and honoring each other during this time? And how are the trends that you are seeing in these digital spaces or just trends in general, uh, how, are you, how are you thinking that these trends might inform how we think about some of the things that we've been talking about regarding colorisms and people not um, valuing difference when it comes to black women? I find that the online space has been, whether it's from like people writing medium posts, which I have done myself, or like recording themselves on Instagram Live. They're just ways that people have been willing to be vulnerable and name their experiences. And because of what's been happening and because of the usage of hashtags in particular, the information, the narrative spread so quickly in ways that I just am deeply appreciative because just as someone who has dealt with like colorism or all these things, it just makes you feel seen in the first place, because this world will gaslight you when you think like, this doesn't feel right, or some, this, this is rooted in something deeper than me. You feel like you're the only one. So it's been great, because that's also been exposing other people in general. But then there have also just been people who are just willing to name what is being experienced. When we talk about like, for instance, the Jessica Krug situation, it had a whole, like black women from sea to shine and sea, 
not only calling out the situation, but also calling out, calling out the colorism that made it so, and forcing people to have these conversations. So it's appreciate like it's a building community. It's a raising awareness. It's also like I've seen Black women using this to mobilize resources for folks. That's been great during the pandemic. And I know these things will go beyond because that's just what we do. Like we have methods of how we support each other, and, and they evolve over time. My hope, though, aside from like Black feminists or Black women online, um, is that those folks who are not Black women are using that, like what we're sharing, our vulnerability, not only to do their own work, but to also just be in conversation with other people. Because we know what's going on. A lot of, we know, we experience it. It's our everyday life. And honestly, it gets to a point, I'm too tired to talk about these experiences. I'm too, I'm tired. <laughs> and I also didn't create the system. Um, I can give you the recommendations, make sure you have me at the table for these things. But I want other people to use the internet space to cite us, recruit us for these different things, have us at the table or us at our own table, all the different things. But figure this shit out that y'all created because we literally die because of it. And we're tired. We're tapped out. Yeah, I'm really grateful for the fact that just the power of Black women and gender nonconforming and non-binary people coming together like, and that shows that throughout time, space, and place, even across Zoom, even across like these advanced technologies that we can still catalyze community even though we can't physically be with one another. And I just always think that's just uh, something very spiritual um, that black women have always had. Um, and it's just passed down throughout generations and generations. I'm very grateful for um, like just, I mean, just everything, like Nana was a part of Black Women Radicals, Black Feminist Perspectives on COVID-19, and just like the sharing of resources, the creating of reading lists, um, um, like connecting with other um, Black women, like having conversations with Afro-Brazilian feminists and hip -hop, Black women in hip hop, or, uh, you know, uh, Ugandan trans sex work activists, uh, you know, like all these different types of people and, and like, honoring the work that they do and uplifting names that don't get uh, seen as much. Um, what I'm concerned about this digital space is the exploitation and the commercialization of disaster capitalism. And we see that with COVID-19. Um, I see how there's this one white scholar who like went through and sifted through like tweets of like black women talking about like, COVID-19 and whatnot, and I think created some sort of like, like article or that black women weren't producing as many articles and therefore other people stepped up and so that their voice can, voices can be in these like peer reviewed or like non-peer reviewed articles. Um, and we've seen that time and time again with our movement building, like even the NBA has Black Lives Matter plastered on the ground, on the, on the, on the, on the floor. Like you got the NFL saying like, Black Lives Matter, you go into Target, Target, and they have like t-shirts and stuff during Black History Month. So what about our Black feminist project that's supposed to be radical? What about the commercialization of our thoughts on digital publics, but also like interpersonally, like we're being literally like, it's like a commodification. And I'm really concerned about that. Like how, how do we as Black women create nothing something out of nothing with no resources. And then these corporations come in and take our like intersectionality. I mean, like, let's come, let, like, come on now. That's using, that's being used for diversity and inclusion training. Mm, so, like, we'll take your shit and make it a workshop, Lord. And, and, you know, and I'm like, what is going on? So I'm grateful for the online space. I'm grateful because we're just innovators. But I mean, I'm concerned about the future of the Black Feminist Project transnationally because there's not just Jenna, Jessica Krugs here in the U.S. There's Jessica Krugs in Brazil, and uh, like you know what I mean. Or, or you got ng like white NGOs coming into black ass countries. And I mean, like we, it's it's a it's a system, like Nana said. So I'm like, what about the future of that? And I I just want our productions to be protected. Yeah, I definitely hear you on that. I mean, for me, the the lowest of the low was when people were taking Brianna, Brianna's image and to sell magazines. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, seriously? <laughs> you know, and not saying, well, our magazine is going to do X, Y, and Z to help support the movement 
to bring her killers to justice or anything like that. But here's her picture on our magazine, by our magazines. Um, and, and yeah, so definitely how is our work being protected? I, I mean, I know people from, I re- have read uh, Jennifer Nash's new book, um, which I think is on point because um, I've been dealing with that in academic spaces because I am, I am the diversity in the program. You know, I'm the person who is supposed, and my classes are, are electives and they're still asking questions on PhD qualifying exams using the work of Kimberly Crenshaw, Angela Davis, and Leslie McCaw from the 1980s. We have moved so far beyond that, but again, like how are you, I think what happens with whiteness is that they're thinking about how are we going to look good when we come out on the other side without interrogating how they're harming us by taking our work and not even using it right, but using it to harm us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also creating tensions among us. Um, And so how, how, how can we protect that? Um, and that might not be a question that we can answer here, but that is a question I think that we really need to think through as black feminists. Mm-hmm. I think the reality of this time is a lot of awareness, not wokeness, but awareness. And the sad thing is a lot of the things that we can say we're grateful for are the same things that make us weary because we're grateful that you understand Black Lives Matter or that you're saying Black Lives Matter. We're grateful that you know Breonna Taylor's name and you're talking about it. But I'm also wary of the fact that are you just capitalizing on this moment? You know, the commodification of, 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 of our Blackness is real right now. And unfortunately, we're in a situation where we want so much for the attention to be on the injustices that we don't even realize that in some ways our message, our image, our blackness is being exploited by capitalist America. And I, I, it's just a, for lack of a better word, it's an interesting place to be in right now. Mm-hmm. And even in our community, the wantingness to be celebrity like a celebrity within. Um, so I went to this conference and uh, Barbara Ramsey was like, there's a difference between like a public intellectual and like someone who's committed to like the, the, the work of like a scholar activist or activist, even like Vincent Harding, like the vocation of the black scholar, like who, who are we dedicated, like who are we dedicated to? And I see even now, even in, radical spaces we've allowed like neoliberalism and capitalism to be like oh there can only be one there can still only be one and even in this space it's just like we have equated we yeah we talk about abolishing systems and defunding this but we're equating followers and the amount of followers to like celebrity and i see that sometimes in this situation, but also within black feminisms, like we have to be the first, we have to be the only, we can only be this one popping iteration of this long legacy of this transnational black feminist project, but it's like abolish the police, defund, like, so, you know, like defund, you know what I mean? So how can you say that? And you're still trying to compete with somebody else and it doesn't make any sense. And I really think we gotta go back to the source, which is ourselves and decolonize ourselves first. So I can't be saying I black love if I'm colorist, I'm homophobic, I'm transphobic, or I'm trying to compete to be the only one because that's how white supremacy has programmed it to be. And I'm like, there's millions of us dying. There's already millions of us gone. And you're gonna sit here and say to me, like you trying to be a celebrity and wanna like, when there's bigger things to think about. And so like, we also also have to vet one another, unfortunately, like, <laughs> Coin and tell pro, like, like I mean, if you really study over, like, you're studying radical movements, you know that not everyone that looks like us is for us. Period. I mean, you know, and it's like we have to vet that, and immediately we're so open, like, oh, let's come into our space. These, what? No, you know what I mean. I, I don't know if that's like far off, but that's what I was thinking. Oh, no, it's not far off at all. All skin folk are not kin folk. That is absolutely true. 
It is true. There are people in the academy, for instance, who look like you and do the most harm to you. It's true. And it's once again, it's this idea of there can only be one. I And it's just a reality of living within white supremacist space, <laughs> within capitalist space. Like a lot of people are doing the unlearning. Some people aren't. But I, I got to vet you for you to be in space with me. I cannot. Life is hard enough. No. I just had to say a girl right there. Yes, girl. <laughs> um, so we're, we're coming up on time now. So I, I, I have one more question for you. Um, and that question is after everything we've talked about, and, and I think Trisha kind of hit the nail on the head where she says we are in a space where we are thankful, but we're also weary. Um, and so in this space of thankfulness and weariness, what are our hopes for Black feminists and Black feminist love? I feel like my hope for Black feminist love is that it continues to grow because um, I think we need it. A genuine Black feminist love that's rooted in liberation for all of us and love for all of us. Like That is what we need right now for me. I just want it to continue to, like, like Nana was saying, to transform and really be honest with ourselves. I think sometimes I think there's like an aesthetic or performance of being a Black feminist. And it's really not, it's a theory and a praxis. It's like a way of life. It's like how you incorporate it. Just like with my faith as a Christian, I feel like that's supposed to be practiced every day. No, I'm not perfect, but what, you know, whatever. But it's like, how are we living this thing and how are we being honest with ourselves? And um, I really also want the black feminist project to really start honoring people. Like I respect and love like these amazing black feminists who paved the way, but what about our mothers and our other mothers and, and other people around the world who we don't like, you may not know right away, but who've done the work. Um, and another thing is, is I just want us to realize like, we need to learn, like Audre Lorde wrote, learn from the 60s, like everything that our foremothers have said, like I've already talked about has already come to pass. How are we going to really build on that and really not reproduce those things that, like the master's tools won't dismantle the master's house. Like how are we really doing that? And so I just want us to go internally and really love ourselves because if we're not loving ourselves, we can't love one another. So that's what I'm at with it. Definitely. Well, thank you both. Today we talked with Nana Brontool, who is a doctoral candidate at the University of Maryland College Park, an educator, researcher, and writer who has published work in The Hill, PBS News, Our Black Perspective, Black Women Radicals, OK Africa, Brittle Paper, and AO Magazine, and Jamie Swift, who is a doctoral candidate at Howard University in political science, and who is the executive director, founder, and creator of Black Women Radical. Thank you both so much for your time and your amazing perspective. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for tuning in. To learn more about our podcast and stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Standpoints Pod and on Twitter at Standpoints Pod One. Standpoints is produced in association with Virginia Tech Publishing. Our producer is Joe Fort and our student researcher is Callan Leahy. For more information about other podcasts distributed by Virginia Tech Publishing, please visit publishing.vt.edu and choose podcasts from the drop-down menu. Our theme music was arranged by Prince Predator with vocals by Aura Cadet. Thank you again to our guest, Nana Brontool, writer, researcher, policy advocate, and Jamie Swift, the executive director of Black Women Radicals. I'm Andrea Baldwin. And I'm Trisha Cadet. Join us next time as we continue our exploration of the Black experience. Oh, 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 oh,